1: In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, which this week are… Is the 2024 calendar taking shape? Audi continuing to plan for F1, tyre talk continues, are we in the boring era of F1 and should F1 return to the past? Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Once a week, we update you on everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at www.formulanerds.com. My name is Ollie, and with me we have the reliable duo as normal. It's Abby and Sam. How are you both? I'm
2: very well, thank you, Ollie. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm very warm. It's it's still hot in the UK, but you can't complain.
0: When it's cold, it's too cold. When it's hot, it's too hot. Sam, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Ollie. I, I disagree with you fundamentally, though. You absolutely can complain. In fact, you should complain. <laughs> what else is there to do when the weather's hot or cold? It's very British to complain about the weather, isn't it? Yeah, you you need a, a base level of dissatisfaction to live in the UK. <laughs> So if you lived
1: somewhere I don't know hot like Florida, you'd be happy with that, would you, Sam? Or because you're British, you'd no, still be unhappy. Far
0: too swampy, <laughs> too too moist, too
1: humid. Yeah, okay. It's not a. I'm not a fan of that word, Sam. So we're going to get straight into our first topic this week. <laughs> um, speaking of locations, we're going to talk about the 2024 calendar. Now, there's various rumors going around online about um, what race could, could be where, but one thing we are pretty certain of is that Japan this year is going to be much earlier on, obviously based on what we saw last year and the weather in Japan, there's talk of Saudi set to host the 2024 season season opener. Personally, I can't see that, although it was, there, there is something in that. And overall, F1 are out on a mission to make the calendar more efficient in terms of travel. So there are some draft calendars going around at the moment with changes such as Azerbaijan being near the back end, sort of in September time, um, with Japan being in sort of April, and then having USA, Mexico, Brazil, Las Vegas, obviously all towards the end of the season I'm not sure how much there is to read into at the moment on this. Um but I think the calendar has to be more efficient in terms of miles traveled and if you're in Australia you shouldn't be going to the Middle East and then off to America. That we we just know this. But guys, do you think that F1 are going to have this nailed in time because there's a huge logistical operation behind the scenes here which they've practiced over many 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 years of how to get from A to B in a certain order if that all changes it's going to be a bit of a nightmare surely
2: I think it is something that definitely needs looking at obviously F1 wants to be net carbon zero by 2030 they're, they're driving their sustainability movement forward and doing the calendar the way that it is this year doesn't help like you said Oli we had Baku and then we went to Miami and then we were supposed to go to Imola and then we went to Spain and then Canada and then we're back in Europe for Austria so the logistics of the, of the calendar at the moment don't work they i feel like they need to group it by like continent in a way because then it would make it easier to get around it would be less carbon going out into the world and it would just help them reach their net carbon zero goal with saudi being the season opener there has been interest From Saudi to host that. I think the main reason is they want to have the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix before Ramadan, but obviously Bahrain also involved in Ramadan and they're the season opener at the moment. So we may see a switch between those two, but either way, those races, I think will remain at the beginning of the season with Japan at the moment. It is at the end of September this year. It is typhoon season. Moving it earlier, I think they're looking to move it to the end of March, beginning of April, which is like the cherry blossom season for the country. That would mean less risk of wet weather, which we all saw what happened at the Japanese Grand Prix last year. I don't think they'll necessarily have it all worked out in the best possible way for 2024, but I think they'll certainly get it done soon.
1: And one thing that we have, well, we're pretty sure is going to happen is the Chinese Grand Prix, subject to, obviously, COVID. Sam, do you think the Chinese Grand Prix is going to happen? And what do you think about the rest of the
0: potential calendar and the ways they can do it? I don't think that the Chinese Grand Prix is going to happen. I think it's there because there's a contract there. I wouldn't be surprised if every year it's put there kind of on the understanding that it's probably not going to go ahead uh that could be a likely scenario it's a shame because it was a you know a popular a popular venue in f1 and it's been around for almost two decades now which feels mad to uh to talk about obviously we haven't had a race there since 2019 but you know so 15 good years of of racing odd with regards to the calendar though it makes sense to to pair that with Japan if a japan if a chinese grand prix does go ahead and as i've said cherry blossom season i reckon that could be pretty spectacular there's talks of baku potentially being pushed back to uh, september and yeah the saudi arabia bahrain situation is a difficult one because you want to group those two together but it's difficult to get both of them in before ramadan which is becoming increasingly early in the year so you could potentially move on to the the back end of the year. Saudi Arabia wants to be a season opener, but at the moment, Bahrain holds the cards when it comes to that. And then obviously Australia as well, traditionally was. So yeah, I'm not buying too much into what we're hearing so far. Um, we'll have to wait and see. to change. We hear rumours all the time, but yeah, I think there needs to be work to better group the, uh, the races scale.
1: And ultimately, at, you know, at this stage in the year, we're in June now. It's a huge undertaking to start changing or, or substantially changing the order of events because there are contracts in place. There are promoters who are already working on selling tickets to events. And obviously, the logistics, you've got to get planes ready. You've got to get boats ready. It's not just as simple as well. We'll go there on that day, and we'll go there on that day. This, you know, they're they're working on these things way in advance, and it just, you know, with the co- when we had the COVID season, it just goes to show how, how well they really did to get those races on. Obviously, it was behind closed doors, but still to get any races on at all was fantastic. Um, but moving
0: on, um, some news on Aldi, Sam. Yes, so we've talked about Audi a fair amount on this podcast over the past few months. And those of you who listen regularly will know that I get kind of fed up when we talk about Audi drivers all the time. It's three years away still, or two and a half seasons at least. It's a bit much really, isn't it? But going to have to at least partially walk that back this week because Audi have indeed signed their first driver. It is Neil Janey, who is a, a very, very experienced racing driver. He's been signed to their simulation role. Uh, so he'll be in the simulator working on the power unit, working on general development as they look to launch the team in 2026. Uh, if you don't know, he's a Swiss driver who has experience in Formula E, GP2. He also has experience in Formula One as the third driver for Toro Rosso uh, back in 2005 to, or 2006, 2007 around that era so he's he's been around the block also has a uh, extensive career in sports cars so he is a valuable asset to the team he will know if they're on the right path if they're not uh, so yeah things starting to fall into place at Audi uh, but obviously I will maintain it's obviously quite, not quite the draw of an actual um in the car number 1 or 2 driver or even reserve driver at this stage
1: So one thing you don't need when you're uh, driving in a test simulator is tyre blankets, which takes us on lovely to our next topic, Abby.
2: Well, it has been the talk of the sport for many months now that F1 were looking to remove tyre blankets completely. And we saw in Monaco the introduction of blanket-free wet tyres, but slick tyre development is still ongoing. Obviously, in Barcelona, Mercedes and Ferrari did a Pirelli tyre test where they tested
0: sorry already, or, or, already got the uh, the fancy names in there sorry for interrupting you abby but that's okay can't, that can't go unchecked
2: they did the pirelli tire test on the new tires without the tire blankets and george russell had said that he would be very concerned for all the mechanics in the pit lane during a pit stop and for the drivers on an outlap from a racing cold conditions there'll be crashes i have no doubt And Charles Leclerc echoed Russell's sentiments and said that it will be interesting how blanket-free tyres perform in less favourable conditions. But now Mario Rosola has confirmed that whilst they're still in the development of producing blanket-free tyres, and it is safety that is a priority, there's also the impact on the racing in terms of level of degradation, peak of grip, and those kind of elements, as well as the undercut because they have said that if the tires take longer to heat to their peak potential drivers could be forced to be more conservative with their pit stops which could then less, like mix up the race strategy overtaking as well but Pirelli may be in danger of not having their contract renewed as Bridgestone who were previously the tire supplier from 2007 to 2010 they have now lodged a bid to be the next tyre supplier from 2025. So there's this battle between Tim principles not wanting to have blanket-free tyres, drivers being a bit conservative, but Pirelli possibly being out of their contract to be the main supplier.
1: Uh, I've got a quick question on this. What? Why do they want to get rid of blankets in the first place? Is it to uh, make the race more exciting or is it
0: for sustainability? Does anyone know? I think it's... Both really is, you know, yes, to zhuzh it up a bit, make it a little bit, little bit more fun. They're not used in other formula. So does F1 really need them is the, is the argument. Um, also, it would make, um, from an environmental perspective, it would make it significantly easier logistically for Pirelli to move the tyres around the world. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, there's other factors attached to that, which is most likely the driving force. But, you, but Abby, you, you make a, a good point that Pirelli are in a very difficult position here, a kind of very typical cliche rock and hard play situation where this has obviously been brought in or it wanted to be introduced by Pirelli and F1. There is hesit- hesitancy from the drivers and the teams to implement this. Their tender is up at the end of 2025. How did they go from there? Or is it in the end of 2024 even, potentially? Where do they go from there? Yeah, I think it is. And could Bridgestone use this to their advantage? And isn't Pirelli
1: about to be bought by a Chinese company as well? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I saw it in the news the other day. Uh, Pirelli is about, well, th- there's been a bid to take over Pirelli by
2: the Chinese. Well, with Bridgestone, only Hamilton, Alonso and Holkenberg. Have raced on Bridgestone tyres before out of the current grid, and a lot of the drivers are actually on board for Bridgestone to be the main tyre supplier. And they, the company have pledged that where, if they were to be the main tyre supplier, they would create a tyre on which drivers can push for hard harder for longer, which is what one of the main concerns for the drivers has been.
0: So, oh, completely, and you can't underestimate the power and the weight of the drivers' support uh, in this situation. I do think that Bridgestone is somewhat in a fortunate position whereby, yes, the last time they raced an F1, there's three drivers who are all well-respected, You know, two of them are world champions, who are saying, yeah, they, they were great, honestly. But F1 cars are entirely different from where they were 15 years ago. The downforce and the cornering speeds are far, far greater, it is an entirely different prospect. So you you do have to appreciate that there is a status quo bias for Pirelli here. Better the devil you know, what if Bridgestone win the tender and they can't produce? They're going to look pretty silly, and then all of a sudden you're going to have the weight of the drivers going, we we're expecting more than this. So it's a risk. It's a risk for F1 to, to, to make this change. Would it be unfair in Pirelli? I think so. But yeah, you know, I think they're torn between that kind of. I don't think they've done enough to lose the the contract, but I don't know if they've done enough to retain it at this stage. So yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting development. I'm just a little bit disappointed that we can have both at the same time. I think having a sole tire supplier is is less interesting. Uh, and Ollie's laughing at me because I've just very very um, <laughs> accurately hit a fly out of my way because I am indeed Spider Man. <laughs> Um, I think, yeah,
1: I, I personally, Sam, wouldn't want to see two tire supplies. I think it just it just creates a, Boo, an extra that? dimension that you don't need. Oh, God, Mercedes, they went for the wrong one and now they're last all year, you know. But going back to the tire blankets thing, Otmar uh, Safnau suggested it's just part of F1. And I think I agree with him let's don't break don't, don't fix it if it ain't broken and we've seen different cars struggle to get tires up to temperature i think that's all we need right we don't then need a a rainy or a or very cold silverstone race for example where they can't actually drive because they can't get the te- tire temps up and then it causes havoc we we can race at the moment let's not change it surely
2: well Christian Horner has said that everybody has tire blankets, they do the job. I think what we should be looking at is sustainable ways of powering those blankets as opposed to removing them. Whereas James Vowles of Williams has said he has a very a more pragmatic view in that if you show them a tire where you can take the blanket off and it performs, it performs in spa, whether it's five degrees or whether we're in Bahrain or 40 degrees, then he'll happily sign up because it's a good step. So Pirelli needs to make sure that these tires actually do the job that they're supposed to do and don't derail the whole concept
1: that feels but impossible
0: th- <laughs> that's not fair this is again the very nexus of the issue for Pirelli. Mm. they've been asked to produce degradable tires they went by f1 standards too far back in the er- the early days of their their tenure uh, in f1 and have then restructured the compound made them more durable and have taken on board the feedback and adapted as F1 has wished them to do, but also if they produce tyres that you could race flat out for on for the whole race, you that w- wouldn't work in modern day Formula One because you don't have refuelling and you don't have tire, a tyre war. You don't have all these variables that you would need in place if you could race the tyre the whole way. Yeah, it's uh, you know there's plus and minuses to both ways, but this is where we currently are. So yeah, they're kind of given a thankless task. Maybe they can do it, but it'll be a 10-stop
1: race uh, because it'll just be like road tires. Who knows? Um, Talking of stops, we're going to take a pause for the cause and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: So, is F1 getting boring or is F1 already boring? It's a big question that we ask ourselves week in, week out at the moment, particularly at the moment. A few stats to, to bring in this conversation, because it is quite an open dialogue, this one. So we're, of course, approaching the Austrian Grand Prix. Then we have the British Grand Prix. They were the other way around last year, but Ferrari won in in Silverstone. They won in Austria. From that point onwards, that was the last time Ferrari won in F1, Red Bull have won all but one race, or Grand Prix. So
1: how, many
0: how many is that, Sam? That is, I mean, they've won 18 of the last 19, which is, I'm assuming, going back that far. Max Verstappen has won 21 of the last 30, and if you go back into the end of 2021, that's 2020, that's 22 of the last 31. That is ridiculous levels of dominance. So much so that um, the likes of Eddie Jordan has said he is bored to death with Max Verstappen's dominance, and said that it's even worse than the Michael Schumacher era. <laughs> Of course, he's using Schumacher as his benchmark because he was 18 principal in that era. He's, you know, maybe overlooked the Hamilton era a little bit there. But again, we can talk about that. Um, moving on to the rest of Jordan's comments. Max Verstappen will emerge to be, over time, to be the greatest driver of all time. I don't like the last couple of races. I have to tell you, I'm bored to death with him. He's just that good. He's making it boring more so than the Schumacher era. So that's the the full quote, guys. I know we've had this debate many times, but you know we're we're going to have it again. What what do you think? Is it is it now too far? Are Red Bull too dominant? Is there anything F1 could or should do about it, or do you have to kind of wait it out? Is every era of F1 actually ultimately defined by a dominant team, be it Ferrari, Mercedes, or Red Bull, or you know McLaren before that? I think um,
1: yes, there there are eras of dominance that 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 is F1, right? We go from one change to the next, and there's always someone who comes out on top. Apart from 2021, but there you know that was a, an extraordinarily exciting season which we haven't seen in decades right so that that's almost you know that, that's that's one of its own but i think there's nothing f1 should or could or could or should do to prevent f1 from being so dominant they've nailed the regulations they've done their job they've ticked all the boxes and they've done it perfectly um but you know i, I have friends and who are massive red bull fans and even they are saying i just want someone else to win a race and you you know, these are proper F1 fans who don't want to see Max keep winning because it is getting really boring. And I think on the last podcast, I said it as well, which was we, we every, t- every week we turn up and we know who's going to win before the race has even started. And, you know, that is testament to Red Bull and that is testament to Max Verstappen. However the whole regulation change that we've just had was meant to bring the field together. And like any regulation would change that we have, which is meant to do that. It's put one team miles and miles ahead. And once we start to close that gap near to the next regulation change, it will happen again. So it, the, I think it is just the sport, but is it getting boring? The P1 is getting boring,
0: but the rest of the field, it's still exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think you're really on something there. Like, take Canada as a case study. If it was Verstappen who hit the wall, not George Russell, that race could well have been an absolute cracker. You'd have the two Mercedes sandwiching the pincer move on the Aston Martin can Alonso get past on track, or will the Mercedes use the strategy against him, and he has to cover off one of them, so on and so forth. It would have been a very, very interesting race. And generally with F1, you get these periods of, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, the theory of punctuated equilibrium. Where basically you get like a baseline, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and every every now and again, was, the equilibrium is punctuated by an extreme or different event, and that is ultimately how F one is. Twenty twenty one would be punctuating the equilibrium. It's a it's a one off event. You know, twenty ten was a great season. Uh, the start of twenty twelve when you had what seven seven winners in seven races, the back end of uh, of the two thousands w- was a really good run. You had what. Four, five different champions in five years. So it it can happen, but I, th- I think you're you're right that this is generally the norm. We do have to kind of accept that to a certain degree, but also appreciate to kind of counter your point about the new regulations, Ollie. It has brought the field closer together. Bar Bar Red Bull, it has done. Aston Martin are now in the mix. Aston Martin have gone from the second worst car, or potentially even arguably the worst at the start of last season, to at times the second best this season. That is great we haven't seen that a lot recently but now we don't really have back markers we have a, a whole midfield that could realistically fight for points so yeah it's it has worked i think we just need to give it more time to work further up the field
2: i think the main issue is it's boring because no one can challenge max like red bull were in the lead but Perez isn't at the moment, not since Miami. So it is literally Max will get pole, Max will win the race. And if you take him out of it, it is a very exciting season. Like you said, Sam, there's hardly any back markers. But when you add Max in, it is... He is so far ahead and so dominant against the rest of the field that it does become predictable and it does become boring. And I think, for me, that's the main issue, that no one can challenge him. So it does lose that element of like racing and excitement as well. But, I mean, it's exciting for the rest of the field because every team has got points. I mean, in Canada, we saw Albon finish in the top 10 adding to the point we saw mercedes versus aston martin McLaren versus hasses versus alpines the rest of the field is great it is just car number one that is so dominant that it does become boring
0: i know this wasn't the the kind of nucleus of your point or the, the the overarching theme but do you think maybe the issue is the cost cap that it kind of locks in those advantages because you can't progress against another team because you can't really spend more money than them. Uh, Even Haas now are getting up to the point where they have enough money to max out the cost cap. So maybe a solution to that specific issue is a weighted cost cap, much like with Wind Tunnel time, where team who finishes 10th, they get X million more to spend the next season, so on and so forth. Would that take, take steps to improving it? Because at the moment, Red Bull's advantage is kind of set in stone and then you add the fact that Max Verstappen is at the moment by far the most dominant driver in the sport no one can really hold a a, a, hold a you know a a candle swim Fernando Alonso on his day Lewis Hamilton on his day at the moment so yeah I think you you, we're lucky that we've got the 2 preeminent forces in F1 at the moment teamed up together and which is what's creating that situation because clearly Sergio Perez can't mix it to the level that Max can
1: uh, I mean, I'm just going to say one thing on the cost cap, right? Which is we've only, since we've had the cost cap, had one team that's breached it. And that team seems to be doing brilliantly. Now you can't link the two because we don't know enough about it, right? We're not in those meetings. But was an advantage gained? That's an open question. I'm not suggesting anything,
0: but are the two linked? Possibly. Yeah. Causation, correlation. It's a, it's an interesting one. And I guess that's what the penalty is seeking to address um, with the winter time. But yeah, for me, ultimately, with it, almost every F one season, there is an element of having to find the stories elsewhere from maybe the 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 fight for the title or the fight for the win, because there is. You know, you take the Premier League for example. It's not just about who wins the league; it's about who gets top four. Which, which team, unlikely team, is going to get Europe next season and then probably suffer the year after because their squad's not big enough? Who's going to be in the relegation fight? Who's going to survive? There's so many different facets. And I think we get too fixated on who's winning races and who's winning the title. We need to spend more time on looking who is outperforming their car? Who is Ayrton Senna in a Tolman? So there are things to, to get excited about. And I think that's important when we have a, an era like we do at the moment. Exactly. And, you know, it, for those with short-term memories, they won't remember
1: um, Lewis Hamilton winning every single race. And if for whatever reason he had a failure, it was Valtteri Bottas or Nico Rosberg who won it. You know, this, this is not new. This has happened before. And there were so many races where we sat there and we already knew it was going to win and it would be Lewis Hamilton. And that was in the past. And there is a lot more talk at the moment of should F1 return to the past? And I don't mean in terms of Hamilton winning Abbey.
2: No, it is in terms of DRS because as F1 fans should know, DRS was introduced in 2011 to promote overtaking. But since then, there have been concerns that the sport is now too reliant on DRS to overtake and that it isn't a challenge anymore and you can't overtake without it. So obviously for 2026, there are going to be new rules and regulations, and a lot have speculated whether DRS should be taken off. Last year, Vettel criticised it, saying the interesting bit would be take the DRS off and see how the racing really is, and if you are able to overtake, a lot better than, let's say, in the past. But now, Nicholas Tombezi has said that DRS is here to stay, ultimately. He said, in an ideal world, it is conceivable to remove DRS, but in the short term, it will not happen because otherwise overtaking would be very difficult. We are no longer in the 80s when simulations were not so advanced and the differences between one car and the next were great. With the current level of technology, of science, removing DRS would be a risk for the sport. So there's that topic of conversation, but also Fernando Alonso has now criticised the size of an F1 car. Obviously, they're significantly bigger than they have been in the past. And he believes that the size of the car is causing a bigger problem than the actual weight of the car. He said, I don't think reducing the weight would change much. I think it's more the size of the cars than the weight of the cars, which make things a little bit more difficult. Overtaking fights into the first couple of corners in the race, it is difficult now to position the car just because of the size of it, not the the weight of it. So there's these two conversations going on. So one, do you guys think we should remove DRS? Because, I mean, when Red Bull have it down a straight, it's like no one can get past them. And two, do you think the size of the car has a bigger impact than the weight.
1: I think, no, you can't remove DRS. DRS is inbuilt into the sport. Now we see it in, in other series. It's, it's here to stay. What I do think F1 have been doing a very good job at or attempting to do a very good job at is manage the gains of DRS on different circuits and adapt and change the DRS zones, um, dependent on, on what they've seen in in previous years. You know, we see DRS zones change each year, which means that they are paying attention. They are, um, Monitoring that, what I do think needs to be more regulated is the power of the of DRS. So why is the Red Bull getting such more such a huge advantage compared to the rest of the field? There has to be a reason for it. Um, If we can make it so that the DRS gain is um, the same across the field, then I think that will be the ultimate. Um, the the, the ultimate result for having DRS, right? Why should it be different for different cars? Um, The the regulations need to be more tightly monitored. And in terms of the size of F1 cars, I think that's just where we are. Um, These are... This is F1 right now. They are, um, you know, the technical regulations are so specific that there's not much that teams can even change on on these cars. They're two metres wide. I can't remember how long they are, but they're extremely long. It's like driving a boat. Five and a half metres Five and a half metres. Um, would we like to see them smaller? Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the 80s, they looked cool as hell. But, you know, safety, I don't know how much that comes into it. But I think the size of F1 cars are probably... Not going to change, Sam. I'm interested to hear what you think on those two.
0: I'm going to be the anti Ollie. I disagree on both counts. I think on the on the first there's a one. change. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we we agree on a lot. We agree this is a conversation. A I will listen to your point. It's a conversation, and also the the listeners will find it boring if we agreed on everything <laughs> all the time. Who's your favorite driver? Who's your favorite driver, Abby? Um, so yeah, I mean, for starters, I think. There are things that you can do with DRS to better regulate it, which is what you've kind of alluded to there. It needs to be more uniform. I think the difficulty is that each car designs their own rear wing, and then that's where the kind of you know the issue starts. Basically, a solution for you that would be, I guess, more easily kind of uh, equalized across the grid would be a push to pass alternative, something like we see in in IndyCar or or reducing the number of times you can use DRS during a race, just being more creative with it, uh, it not being applicable if you're coming up behind a, a car you're about to lap, little things like that, I think, because you get an advantage then. It, and, you know, maybe it offsets the disadvantage of being behind a car for you know, a lap or Do you happen. know what, Sam? They're brilliant points. Both of those I'll give you. So there's there's stuff you need to do, but also in terms of to truly understand the effect of DRS and what, it would, what the sport would look like without it, you need to take it off. You almost need to to have a a non-championship race or maybe even, yeah, I don't know, trial it in F2 or F3, get rid of it, see what it does. And yeah, that's very different because, and this will lead on to the second point about weight and size. Those cars are different to F1. They're smaller and they weigh less. So you can't maybe get a complete kind of uh, replicated experiment in that sense. But I think, yeah, ultimately you need to trial it. Try left one without it to see just how bad um, the the aerodynamics of the Formula One cars are these days for, for following. And this is, bear in mind that we've made steps to improve it. With regards to weight and size, I think... Before I
1: think you move both, on to your next point, Sam, can I just say yeah. the moment of brilliance that you've just said was having a certain amount of times you can use DRS. I think that would be, that's a key, right? You've got to choose when you use it. It's not just available all the time. I think that's probably one of the best ideas I've heard.
0: Thank you. Or or even, I mean, if you want to go even further, you know, you, you, in a DRS zone, you can only use it for X number of meters. And, you know, the technology is there, right, surely. And, you know, is it more advantageous to use DRS at the start of a straight or at the end of a straight? You know, let let the teams and the drivers work that out. They're, you know, they're the, the maths whiz kids. An intermediate point, if I may. Do we have too much technology in the sport? Is there a way to restrict it? Should we limit it? You know, Abby, you talked about or Ollie, you talked about the um the amount of information in the simulations and, and knowing all that all that data that we didn't have in the 80s. There are, you know, bigger differences in the cars so on and so forth you surely could limit that. And yes, it's another thing for the teams to try and get around, but let them try and get around. It adds more flavour, adds another, another another dynamic into the sport. So yeah, there's there's things you can do there. On the weight and size, I think, I can't decide if I think they're interlinked. I think they're both an issue though. The cars are way too big. I think they're too, too heavy as well. I think you want a slightly more flighty, on the edge of your seat experience, both as a driver and... As a fan, I loved watching the cars in the early two thousand twitching their way through a corner, or even before that, when they weren't so twitchy. When there were kind of you know wider cars that were more grounded in in the mid nineties, you still had to wrestle with it. So, I maybe I'm just nostalgic, but I think you do need to go back and you do need to try and make cars smaller because they're racier. And yeah, there's just, there's so many different steps that the sport could take. And I think they should. And I don't think we really should kind of accept uh, this is where we are. I think there's always things they can do
1: and I think fundamentally F1 is doing all they can to make racing more exciting it's only in their interest they're not going to be trying to make it more boring that's for sure but these, these have been some interesting discussions I've, I've enjoyed these so do let us know your thoughts on is F1 getting boring and should they go back to getting rid of DRS making the car smaller let us know your thoughts we'll read them out on the next show email us info at formulanerds.com um, with your thoughts and yeah look forward to seeing what you guys think but that is all we have time for today um i'd like to thank my my wonderful panel sam and abby Uh, abby thank you
2: thank you for having me as always
1: thank you and
0: sam it's been a been a
1: pleasure good stuff well there is no race this weekend but we will be back next week for more news and of course the review of the austrian grand prix so until then goodbye You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. go.
2: Sports Social Podcast
1: Network.